0: Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 18, looking this morning at verses 1 to 12. If you haven't brought a uh, Bible with you this morning, our passage is found on page 59 in your pew Bibles. This morning we uh, return, after a few weeks, uh, back to our Sunday morning uh, sermon series through the book of Exodus morning, looking at Exodus 18, uh, the first 12 verses, we have seen over the last several weeks of sermons in Exodus, conflicts, conflicts from within, conflicts from without, and we have seen God's constant provision uh, for his people. This morning there is no conflict, we see a a joyful reunion, and yet still we see a powerful work of God in our passage this morning. And so let's look at Exodus uh, chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. Jethro the priest of Midian... Moses' father-in-law heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land, and the name of the other, Eleazar, for he said, the God of my father was my help, and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God." And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hand of of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. And thus far, God's holy word. Let's go to him in prayer. Our God, we ask that you would come into our midst this morning, that you would open our eyes, that we might see wonderful things, glorious things in your word today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. At our Wednesday night prayer meetings, we often pray for unsaved family and friends, oftentimes wayward covenant children. This past Wednesday night, I was particularly struck because we had several requests and several prayers on behalf of unsaved family and friends, etc., etc., Indeed, I believe and I'm fairly confident that all of us have family, friends, people close to us that are unbelievers that we pray for and would like to have others pray for. Indeed, there is no greater joy than to see unbelieving family members, friends, etc., etc., come To saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and there is no greater sorrow than to see those close to us who are unbelievers or children not walking with the Lord or who have openly denounced and turned away from the faith. Today in Exodus chapter 18, we see the conversion of an unbeliever. And this happens through Moses' love and devotion, especially his proclamation of God's work. But ultimately, of course, as is always the case, it is through the work of God alone. I want us to see a few things in our text this morning. And first is Moses' devotion to his family. Moses' devotion to his family. So far as we've been studying through Exodus, we have seen Moses, the man of God. The man of God. He has not been sinless, but in many ways he has been fearless. He has been faithful. Well, today we see Moses, the the family man in our passage. We have seen previously that Israel is in the region of Mount Sinai or Horeb. If you look back one chapter at chapter 17, verse 6, we, we see the mention of Horeb. This is the, the account where water comes from the rock. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. So there, there they are at, at Horeb. Uh, Here we see in verse 5 of chapter 18 uh, that they were encamped at the mountain of God. Now, we've seen both of those names in the past, Horeb and mountain of, of God. We've seen this before. Turn back to Exodus chapter 3 real quick and look at verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1. This is where Moses encounters God for the first time. Exodus three one Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, as he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. All right, so that's where we've seen those names before, Horeb, the mountain of God. God. We saw back then that this is basically the Sinai region. This is where Moses is going to receive the Ten Commandments in this basic region. The significance, and by the way, God told, tells Moses when he appears to him here that he's going to bring him back here later. He would worship there again. So it's significant. Moses has lived there uh, earlier, uh, where he uh, was after he fled from Egypt. He lived there with Jethro. So, giving you the context here. So, Jethro lives in this area, to cut to the chase. So, what happens? Let's pick up in chapter 18, verse 1. Jethro comes to Moses with Zipporah, Moses' wife, and Moses' two sons. Now, verse 2 says, after he had sent her home, after Moses had sent her home, Zipporah, back to Jethro, back to her father, the question is, when? When did he do this, and why did he do this? I don't want to go into this and, and spend a lot of time on this, but very briefly, when did Moses send Zipporah and his two sons home, and why did he send them home? Some scholars say well, there was friction between Moses and Zipporah after the incident back in chapter four, if you remember this, when, uh, when uh, over the, the circumcision. Of their son, Uh, if you remember that, where where Moses almost was put to death, and it was Zipporah who 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 circumcised their son back in chapter four, verses twenty four to twenty six, and she uh, basically threw the foreskin of the uh, after the circumcision at Moses when Moses is basically lying on his deathbed and said, you are a, a bridegroom of blood to me. And so the, the possibility is that, that they parted ways there, that there was some kind of tension there. There are many scholars who believe that Moses and Zipporah actually got divorced at that point. Three times here, however, in this passage, Zipporah is called Moses' wife, so that seems highly unlikely. Perhaps they departed because right after that event, in chapter 4, Moses meets up with Aaron, and Moses and Aaron go on, and perhaps then Zipporah went back to her father with her, her sons. Yet Calvin writes this, that they departed One another back before all the events in Exodus and in Egypt started with Moses and the Exodus. Calvin writes this To me, this does not seem probable, for Moses would never have allowed his sons to be deprived of the redemption of which he was the minister. Besides, if he had deposited his wife and children in safety and had advanced alone to the contest, he would have been deservedly suspected of deceit or of excessive cowardice. Wherefore, I have no doubt but that he underwent together with his family that miserable yoke of bondage by which they were long oppressed and by this proof evidenced his faithfulness. In other words, his wife, his family were with him all through their time in Egypt. So when were they, when did they go back to see their father Jethro? Probably after the exodus, when they got in the Sinai region. They're in the neighborhood. Moses says, go see your family. And now Jethro is bringing them back to Moses, and also to hear about God's work. Specifies that Moses, uh, Jethro, excuse me, brings Moses' wife, but he also brings Moses' sons. Notice he specifies the names here. Gershom in verse 3, for he said, I have been a sojourner. In a foreign land. The name Gershom means sojourner. The other is named Eleazar in verse 4. Eleazar, the God of my father, was my help and delivered me from the sword of uh, Pharaoh. Eleazar literally means God, my help. His sons basically tell Moses' story. I was a sojourner, and God has been my help. Moses' story. It's Israel's story. It's all who trust in Christ's story. We're sojourners, and God is our help. But the main thing I want you to see here in these first Several verses of chapter 18 is Moses' treatment of his father-in-law and we see this especially in verses 6 and 7. Moses heard the word that his father-in-law is coming out coming to him. And verse 7 says he went out to meet his father and he bowed down and kissed him and they asked each other of their Welfare, And they went in to the tent. He went out. Generally great men, which Moses would have been at this point in his life, great men in the ancient Near East would have s- sat in their tents and waited for others to come to them. But Moses goes out to his father-in-law. He shows humility. He honors his father-in-law. He shows homage to his father-in-law. He bows down and he kisses him. Here we see Moses, the the family man, the family man, honoring his father-in-law, going out to his family. Of course, this is critical for leaders Of the church. All leaders of Christ's church must be family men. Indeed, all Christian men must be family men. Qualifications for elders and deacons in Scripture is that they must manage their household well. And this is for non officers as well qualifications for officers in scripture are really apply to all officers church officers really are those who exemplify these characteristics who who do these things really well 1st Timothy 3 Titus chapter 1 the sad thing in too many churches and with too many Christian leaders is that they too often put Christian ministry over family. And oftentimes churches and congregations are those who help in that. Not this one, however. Praise the Lord. Officers must be exemplary. Sometimes we see that in the priority of too many Christian leaders putting ministry first is that you see children who are not submissive, whose marriages are a mess, etc., etc. These are scandals in the church, but we often see them all around us. Sometimes we put fruitfulness over faithfulness, but that cannot be. We need to be faithful in every area of our lives. Verses 7 and 8, after Moses' respectful greeting, they go into Moses' tent. What do they talk about here in these following verses? Verses. They talk about their plans for where they're going to travel. They talk about their health, maybe a little bit. Do they talk about how are you doing? Boy, it sure is hot here in the desert, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now, what do they talk about? They talk about God. A good verse eight. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. So secondly, we see Moses tells his father-in-law of God's saving power, all that the Lord had done. If he's retelling all of Exodus 7 through 17, which is basically beginning with the plagues, this discussion went on for some time. If Moses is retelling Exodus 7 through 17, Moses told a lot about his own faults and his own sins along the way. But if he's retelling Exodus 7 through 17, chapter 7 through 17, this is absolutely a God-centered retelling Of God's work. It's all about God, His great works, His great redemption. In one sense, Moses' love, his respect, has perhaps opened the door for this witness. But what He tells here, what He he told, as the text says here, which also, by the way, Uh, verse 8, what Moses told could also be translated proclaimed. It's a word for preaching uh, that's, that's used here. Told was all of what God had done. Not Moses, not anyone else. He didn't tell about what Joshua did in the battle against the Amalekites. He didn't tell what What he had done, oh, you should have seen me. I had to struggle to hold up my hands in that battle and keep them them held up high. You should have seen me, Jethro, strike that rock and the water come out. No, it's all of what God had done. You know, much of modern evangelism is all about me. It's all in the first person. The first person singular. But the, the goal is to point people to God. To point people to Christ. It's got to be God-centered. The Apostle Paul says, Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this telling of what God had done to the Egyptians in verse 8. Leads, and how the Lord, at the end of verse 8, had delivered them. Leads in verse 9 to Jethro rejoicing for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Exalting the Lord's work leads to giving praise here to God alone. And this spills over into verse 10, where Jethro says, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now, as Doug Stewart in his commentary points out, we're not talking here about deliverance or saving from sin yet. That's going to come later. God's saving his people from their sins. This, of course, is saving them from bondage and, and slavery, but, but we can apply it to our salvation from sin. In fact, Israel's exodus looks forward to our salvation in Christ in that, of course, it is all of God. By his grace, by his saving power, for his praise and for his glory. A God-centered gospel leads to praise for God for saving us from our sins. May we proclaim that God alone Saves that God alone transforms. It is none of us and all of him to his glory. And that leads third and finally in our passage to the celebration of God's grace. The celebration of God's grace. Jethro, as we've seen, responds with praise, praising the Lord. Notice here he uses God's covenant name in verse 10. Blessed be the Lord, or blessed be Yahweh there. You see, Lord, in all caps. Blessed be Yahweh. In verse 11, he says, Now I know that Yahweh is greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. Now I know the supremacy of the Lord. Here is his conversion. Putting behind him his pagan past, rejoicing in what God has done. He is filled with joy, overwhelming happiness. This is a, a celebration, a kind of happiness that we, we often see in, in new converts. Rejoicing in what God has done. And more than that, our passage ends in verse 12 with with sharing a meal and fellowship together as a part of God's covenant people. Look at verse 12. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God a fellowship meal part of God's covenant people we've seen from the beginning of our study of Exodus that Israel is saved to worship God that's what God initially commanded let my people go that they might worship me So all of God's people are saved to worship. That also is going to include fellowship and communion. And this is going to include even this Midianite, Jethro, a foreigner. What's interesting here is that the Midianites themselves will turn out to be, as a group, one of Israel's fiercest enemies. They're actually very closely related to the Amalekites, whom the Israelites have just defeated in the previous passage at the end of chapter 17. Well, actually, in our Bibles, the Midianites appeared earlier. They, they were the ones who took Joseph into slavery. The, Joseph's brothers sold him to Midianites, and they took him to, to Egypt originally. But later, the Israelites are going to have many encounters with the Midianites. The Midianites are constantly raiding Israel later in the Old Testament. And God actually commands Israel to, to kill the Midianites, to wipe them out, The biblical picture in that sense is that the Midianites are basically beyond saving. Yet here we have a Midianite convert. A Midianite convert. More than that, a priest. In fact, verse 1 says, Jethro, the priest of Midian... Perhaps, as many scholars argue, he is the high priest of Midian. And God brings him to salvation. No one is beyond the reach of our powerful, sovereign God. Children, loved ones, friends, co workers, who are not believers, they're not beyond the reach of the sovereign God. Pray, pray to our sovereign Lord. As you have opportunity, share. Share about our God. Share what God has done. Pray some more. Keep doing it. But leave it in the hands of the sovereign, our sovereign God. That's the lesson of this text. It's the lesson of all of Scripture. If God can save the priest of Midian... No one is beyond his sovereign saving grace. Let's pray. Our God, how we thank you that you indeed are a great and mighty Lord. How we thank you that you can reach into every human heart. And we do pray, O God, that you would come, that you would reach into the hearts of our loved ones that you would reach into the hearts of our unsaved friends. And we pray, O God, according to your sovereignty, uh, that you would bring them to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you and rejoice, O God, that you have changed us. We pray that you would help us to remain strong in faith. Help us to, to live as shining lights. We might live as living testimonies for your grace and for your goodness. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.